Go ahead and turn your Bibles with me tonight to Ephesians chapter 3. We'll be finishing up chapter 3 tonight. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14 when you get there. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14. Paul says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, and that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Verse 20, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Verse 21, unto him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Uh, let's bow to the Lord in prayer once again. Father, I pray that you bless the reading of the text. God, direct me as I speak. Give me the words to say. Use this for your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want us to, uh, it's been a little while since we've been in the book of Ephesians. Um, we've had to take several weeks off just because of different things going on. Had a couple of missionaries come in and uh, just different leadership on some nights, uh, on Sundays. And uh, So we're back in Ephesians tonight. I just want to kind of, uh, I'm not going to go from chapter 1 all the way through. Just, uh, just remember uh, that when we're looking at the book of Ephesians, uh, the book is divided into two equal divisions. We talked about that when we started studying the book of Ephesians. And so the, the book is neatly divided. As a matter of fact, you see, and actually in verse 21, you see the end of this first section uh, where it says, uh, at the very end of verse 21, you have the word, Amen. And so he's closing this thought, and he's going to introduce a new one as we start into chapter 4. So if you remember when I was talking about this uh, back at the beginning of the year, I know some of you have excellent memory. And uh, so chapters 1 through 3 deal with the doctrine that Paul needs to teach us. Chapters 4 through 6 deal with the practices that we need to put in order in our own lives. And, uh, and we see this in every single book that Paul writes. It's actually a great way to divide almost any book uh, that Paul has written is he always starts with doctrine and then he moves on to application. So in most books, uh, you'll be able to make that, that distinction. But Ephesians, he just gives it to us. He just lays it out there. Chapters 1 through 3 are doctrine. Chapters 4 through 6 is application. It's uh, it's practical information for us. And so, again, the first half deals with truth. The second half deals with, with application. The first division teaches us what we believe. The second division teaches us what we're to do with what we believe. Uh, and so, in closing this first section, let's look at Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus. And I want us to go ahead and read verses uh, 14 through 15 uh, once more. If you look there, it says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, of whom the whole family uh, in heaven and earth is named. So we see in verse 14, uh, he's bowing to his knees and praying to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want us to uh, just take a moment, if you would, you're in chapter 3, look in verse 1. I want you to see something that you may skip or not notice here. I want you to look at the first four words of chapter 3, verse 1. 
And you should see this in chapter 3, verse 1. For this cause I. Alright? Then look in, in verse 14 and look at the first four words. For this cause I. Do y'all see that? Now, have you ever been telling a story and you started out with a couple words and you were going to tell this story, but then you realize, before I get to this story, I need to say something else. Maybe preachers are the only one with, with problems like that. But you'll start out with something and then you're, oh, before I tell you this, now let me tell you this story. And then you come back to what you were originally going to say. Anybody ever done that? Hands raised? Yes, uh, we've, we've all done it or we've heard somebody do it before. Well, that is what Paul is doing here. You could almost... Um, you can almost put a parenthesis around much of verses 1 through 13. Put a parenthesis around this because this is something he's just emphasizing. He's talking about Christ and his Christhood and his mercy and his grace. And he's got to explain all that to us about Christ so that what he says about his prayer will make sense later. And so he says, For this cause I, Paul, in verse 1, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. And then he starts out in verse 2 with if. If you've done all this, all right, then in verse 14, he goes back to what his prayer is. He says, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So now we'll go we'll look at the prayer that he wants to, uh, to lift up for them in this chapter. And uh, so we find here that he was earnestly praying for three things. And let me say that all three of these are ways that we need to be praying for one another. Now, I mentioned this before. I want us to see, I want to see us as a church praying more. I want, us to see, uh, I want to see us functioning and working off of the energy and power of prayer. Do you believe that prayer has power? Amen. And that's how we need to be functioning. That's the energy that we need to be working off of. And, uh, and so sometimes you just have to know how to pray for one another. And this, these verses give us an idea of that. Now, the first thing that he is praying for, for these Ephesians is he's giving a prayer for spiritual strength. And we see that in verse 16. Now he says in verse 16 that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. I want to do something just real quick before I comment on this verse. I said that this is all about a prayer that he's praying for these Ephesians. I want you to underline, if you write in your Bibles, I want you to underline four words if you're writing on a separate piece of paper, just make note of these. But he says, I'm praying, and then in verse 16, that. I want you to underline that. Just the word that. If you write in your Bibles. If not, then, then don't underline that. I want you to skip down to verse 17. What's the first word you see there? That. All right, so underline that. And then in verse 19... He says, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. And then what word do you see? That. Alright, so it would almost be like me saying, I am praying to the Father that this would happen, that this would happen, and that this would happen. And that's exactly what Paul's doing in these verses. So you can break these, this prayer down into three sections by just tracing the word that. So uh, the first that is what we're going to look at right now. And he's praying that they would have spiritual strength as we look in verse 16. Now, just to, to refresh, let's read that again. He says that, I'm praying that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. 
I'm reminded here of all the great spiritual blessings that we have in Christ and all the references to God's wealth that we found in chapter 1, where in verse 3 he says uh, that God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to talk about all the vast wealth that God has. How much does God have? Everything. How much spiritual might does God have? He has all of it, doesn't he? So he's saying, I am praying for you that God would, he would give you some of the wealth of his strength that you might be strengthened in the inner man. And uh, so I just want you to kind of have that picture of, of God's bank of spiritual power. And he's praying that God would pour out upon them some of the wealth of power that he had. So he prays that God would open his storehouse of spiritual strength and pour it upon these Ephesian believers. And I want you to notice in this verse who Paul is depending on to produce that strength. Who is it that's going to give them strength in the inner man? Verse 16. It's okay, you can answer. Do what? He says, by His Spirit. And so it is the Holy Spirit living within us that we need to depend on to strengthen us in the inner man. Now I want to talk about that inner man just for a little bit. Uh, the inner man that he speaks of there is sometimes uh, called by different names. And uh, just so that we make it fair for everyone, we can just call it the inner person. Okay? Because you may be a man, you may be a woman, but uh, that he, you'd be strengthened in that inner person. So the inner man or inner person is called by many different names. Uh, it's called sometimes in, in the scriptures, it's called the mind. And the mind is where we think. Sometimes it's called the heart, which is where we feel. Anybody in touch with their feelings tonight? Nobody's in touch with their feelings tonight? Anybody ever accused of not being in touch with other people's feelings? Alright, so what is it? You're not being considerate of their heart and their feelings or their emotions. And so uh, sometimes that's considered the inner man. Uh, then you also have the will, which is where we desire things. And you have, sometimes it's called the soul. And the soul is who you are. Now understand this, when you die and they put your body in the ground, you aren't in the ground, are you? You're somewhere else. Now, where are you? Well, that depends on what you did with Jesus while you're alive. But if you trusted Jesus, you are in heaven. Your soul is in heaven. And if uh, you didn't trust Jesus, then your soul is in hell. Your body is just the shell that you're walking around in. But that inner man is where he's saying that we need to be strengthened. So much of our energy and time is spent on trying to condition this outer body or this outer flesh. You know, we want to get into this shape. And so... You know, what we do is we take pills so that we'll lose weight or we, uh, you know, uh, we take we take this so that we'll do that. Or we try to find some quick scheme to get our bodies into shape the way that they need to be. When really what we need is, is we need our inner man or our inner person to uh, to be conditioned a little bit. Because if I had self-restraint or if I had, you know, the ability to, uh, to put myself in subjection to the spirit of God, then much of the things that I deal with in the flesh wouldn't be an issue. You see... My body is healthy enough to go to the gym every morning, but my mind sure don't want to. Anybody ever have that problem? It's hard to wake up that early in the morning. And I know that if I don't do it later in the day, I'll never get there. So guess what I don't do? I don't go to the gym. 
By the way, I'm supposed to get up tomorrow morning and go to the gym, but I've been supposed to be doing that for a long time. And uh, so we'll just have to see how that works out. But I don't need to pray that my body will be strengthened and disciplined to get up tomorrow morning. It's a mind problem. It's, it's the inner person. And, uh, and that's what Paul targets in this verse is that inner man or that inner person. This is where most of our battles are going to be fought. And it's where most of us struggle the most. Isn't it baffling how many Christians are struggling with discouragement or anxiety and depression? They struggle with anger and sadness and envy, uh, which is jealousy. They struggle with pride and greed and lust. And I'm not talking about just everyone. I'm saying Christians are struggling with all these things. Now, these are things that everybody struggles with. But listen to me. We're supposed to have the remedy for that, Jesus Christ. And if any man is in Christ, he's to be a new what? A new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. But how many Christians who have been made new creations are still struggling with the old problems? What's going on? There's a problem somewhere with the inner man. There's a problem somewhere with uh, who they are inside. Now, we can take all the things that I just mentioned, and we can break them into those categories. You can talk about discouragement or anxiety or depression. Those are problems with the mind. You can talk about anger or sadness or envy. Anybody ever struggle with anger or sadness, being jealous? Those are things that have to do with your emotions. Uh, we all struggle sometimes with pride. Anybody ever been prideful? <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. Or be greedy or, or have lust towards things that you shouldn't be uh, desiring. Well, that all has to do with the will. But it's all found in our inner being. Most of us have become weakened in our inner being. Our minds, wills, and emotions are completely out of control. And so where do we need to be praying for one another? We don't need to pray for a person's body so that they'll get up and get in church. We don't need to be praying for a person's body that they'll go out and do what God wants them to do. No, if their bodies are not following, it's because something's wrong in the heart. That's what we need to be praying for, is that God would strengthen them by His Spirit in the inner person. You know, I and, and listen, I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way, because um, I'm not meaning it in any, any way. But I've seen people who have a little bit of pain and can't come to church. Or can't go do things for God. And I've seen people with a lot of pain that do go to church and that are doing things for God. And you can say, well, someone just has a higher threshold for pain than others. I think there's something else going at work there. I think their heart is overriding their body. Because I've seen people who are in such pain. It's written on their face. They, they are struggling to get through the day. But they are busy and they are faithful and they are working. And I've seen people make excuses after excuse for why they can't do. And I'm telling you, it's not a problem with the body. It's a problem with the heart. There is some strengthening in the inner man that needs to go on. Because if your heart is right with God, then... And I'm not saying that there's never... Please, again, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying there's not an excuse not to come to church. Or if you're feeling bad, you should be here anyway. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that when our hearts are right, we're not going to allow our bodies to get in the way of what God wants us to do. And, uh, and so, you know, again, just hear that, put it into context, what I'm saying. But, uh, but we need to be praying for one another that we would be strengthened in the inner man. That we be strengthened in the inner person. So pray for people. If you want to know how to pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ, 
You need to pray that God's Spirit would strengthen them in their soul. Strengthen their minds. Strengthen their emotions. Strengthen their desires. And that they would be led by Him instead of the flesh. We need to pray for... um, the next thing that he was praying for and that we need to be praying for is not only uh, not only the first, but the spiritual depth as well. Now, please hear that correctly. Not spiritual death, but spiritual depth, all right? P-T-H. Uh, look at verses 17 through 18. It says there in verse 17 that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. The second part to Paul's prayer was for the Ephesians to have a deeper understanding of Christ and their lives. I want want us to look at his words for just a second. In verse 17, he says that he's praying that Christ may dwell, verse 17, Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. The word dwell there is very interesting. Uh, He's not saying that he wants the Spirit to come in and dwell in their hearts. That's not what his prayer is. Remember, he's writing to save people who already have the Holy Spirit and dwelling in their hearts. But what he means by this is very special. What he means is that Christ would be at home in their hearts. That's a totally different thing, isn't it? Because it's possible to be living somewhere where you're not at home, isn't it? It's possible to be in a building and not feel at home there. Anybody feel at home at work? But most of us dwell at least eight hours a day there, don't we? And so you can be in a place and not feel at home in a place. His prayer is not that God would, that Jesus would dwell in their hearts, but that Jesus would be made to feel at home in their hearts. That there would be a place where Jesus could reside and feel comfortable and abide with them in peace and harmony in their hearts. You know, with a lot of the stuff that I just read off that Christians have going on in their hearts, in, in their inner being, Do you think it would be difficult for Christ to feel at home there? Definitely be hard for Him to rule in a heart like that, wouldn't it? And so He prays, first of all, for spiritual strengthening, but then He prays for a a deeper uh, understanding of Christ's place in their lives. I want you to notice that He says that He wants Christ to dwell in them by what? By faith. Would you say that much of the things that we dealt with on the list before could be solved by faith in Christ, by true faith in Christ? Next, he says in verse 17, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. That, the word that there may be another thing that you want to underline. I didn't, uh, I didn't tell you to do that, but uh, maybe another one of those that's that you want to underline. He prayed that they would be rooted and grounded in love. And then in verse 18, his prayer would be that they would comprehend the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. And the word breadth there, you could just replace that with the word width. So he wants us to know how wide, how high, how, how deep, how tall uh, the, you know, of course, the, the love of Christ is, uh, what I believe that's referring to. That we would know just how great and how big the love and the riches and the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ uh, truly are. Now I want you to notice a few of the terms here as we go back through there. I want you to notice in verse 17 that we have a couple of words here. We have the word faith. We have the words rooted and rounded uh, and, and grounded, excuse me, in verse 17. In verse 18 you have the word comprehend. 
And then I want us to jump down to verse 19. And uh, we, we haven't got there yet, but verse 19 has the word know. To know. Now often what we do is we, sell, we separate the idea of knowledge from experience. And if we're not careful, what we'll make these verses all about is education. That Paul wanted them to be more educated in the things of Christ. Um, you ground your faith by obeying the rules. This is kind of what we've been dealt in church. You're rooted and grounded by doctrinal teaching. So if you want to ground somebody or root them in the love of Christ or the work of Christ, what they need is they need a series of doctrinal lessons that are going to help them to get there, right? You know more by studying more. But I want you to understand tonight that all those are important. But that is not, and what Paul is talking about here when he uses this word, is not only about information. Louis Giglio, I don't know if anybody's ever heard of uh, Louis Giglio, but if you haven't, it might be difficult to spell, but try looking up some of his stuff on YouTube. But there's a video that I want you to watch, okay? It's about 10 minutes long, and uh, once you get into it, it won't feel like 10 minutes, I promise you. But his name's Louis Giglio, but you don't even know that. All you need to type is, in is the gospel according to Krispy Kreme. All right? Just type in YouTube. Just go to YouTube. The gospel according to Krispy Kreme. And what he does in that video, and I still want you to watch it because he, he does a much better job than I'm about to do. And I'm not going to tell the whole story. But what he does is he, he talks about Krispy Kreme and he gives out a whole bunch of facts about Krispy Kreme. He tells us where Krispy Kreme came from. He tells us that it is the best donut in the world, you know, and he says that many times throughout the video. He tells us when it was started and even what the, uh, the philosophy and the motto of those that began Krispy Kreme is. He talked about the fact that when you drive by, I can't remember exactly what the sign says. Can anybody help me? Those lights come on and it flashes what? Hot, fresh, something like that. Now. Is that the other word? Next time you go by Krispy Kreme, look, because I can't remember what it says. He talks about the fact that you can call the hotline. He even gives the hotline number. You can call up the hotline and you can talk to them about Krispy Kreme and find out more information about Krispy Kreme. But having all that information does you no good unless you've ever taken a Krispy Kreme donut and put it in your mouth. And he makes a statement that Krispy Kreme does not exist for you to know when it got started and know all the facts about Krispy Kreme. Krispy Kreme exists so that you can eat a donut. And then he actually takes a donut and eats it in front of the whole crowd. And uh, they all start booing, I think, or uh, yelling at him because they didn't get one. But the, the truth that he's bringing out here is that we can know a lot about God. And most of us could rattle off a whole lot of information about God. We, we could talk about God created everything in the beginning, talk about who God is and what God is, rattle off information about the Trinity. We could talk about you know, his, his eternal being and being omniscient and omnipotent and omnipresent. and We could rattle off all this information, but that is not the same thing as having a personal, real relationship with Jesus Christ or with God. So it's one thing to know a whole lot about someone. It's a completely different thing to really know that person and to know them by experience. 
And really, in, in Hebrew thought and in biblical thought, you can't separate one from the other. You can't really know something or you can't really know someone unless you met them and experienced them and spent some time with them. It's impossible to truly know something until you have experienced it for yourself. Now, listen, I could have read a whole. Have I told you all that I went to Hawaii, by the way? Nikki and I went to Hawaii back in February, just in case anybody didn't know that. I don't, have I mentioned that yet? I can't remember. Now, we had this opportunity to go. So what we could have done is we could have bought a whole bunch of Hawaii books and read everything that we could about Hawaii and not gone. Or we could have gone and experienced Hawaii for ourselves and come back and told you about it seven million times and everything that we saw and everything that we did and show you all the pictures. But you see, I did read quite a bit on Hawaii before I got there, but it was totally different to experience it for myself. Same with Israel, same with Washington, D.C., or any of the places that we go. You can read up on it all you want, but until you experience it and get to know it for real, hands-on with that thing or that person, then you can't really know it. Often we separate the idea of knowledge from uh, experience. And if we're not careful, we'll make all this about education. Uh, you know, and, and that's what we don't want to do. Most of us, again, can rattle off these facts about God. That, but it doesn't mean that we're mature in faith or that we're grounded or that we know God. Because I know some people who know a whole lot of facts about God, but they're not walking with God. I know people who are maybe consider themselves to be theologians and they can talk the theology and all those other things. But then they struggle with really trusting and believing God in their lives. Something has gone wrong there when we know all about this person called God, but we don't know him by experience. Paul's prayer is that they will grow deeper in their understanding of Christ, but understand, not just that they would have a deeper knowledge of him, but that they would have a deeper experience with God. That leads us to the last thing. A prayer for spiritual maturity in verse 19. So verse 19, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The last of the no's uh, that we've looked at, or the last part of Paul's prayer, was for them to know the love of Christ. And again, he wasn't asking for them to define or write a dissertation on the love of Christ. He was talking about knowing the love of Christ on such a real and personal level that it would affect every aspect of their lives. Now, there we go again. Many of us can talk about the love of Christ. We can say that his love is never ending. We can say that his love covers all. We can say that his love is eternal, just like his character and things like that. But until we come to experience and know that love, then it's difficult for us to explain it or give it to other people. There is an inseparable connection between God and love. Uh, Many verses point to this reality that you really can't have God without having love as well. In fact, there's even a verse that states it it plainly uh, as any other verse, and that is just simply this. God is love. In other words, you can't really know God and not know love or have love for other people. We dealt with that a couple of messages ago on Sunday night. But uh, I want us to just think about this thought uh, that 
And what we call the building blocks of faith over in, uh, I think it's First or Second Peter, Peter says that we must add to our faith, which is our salvation, we must add to our faith virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, guileliness, kindliness, or kindness. And then the last thing that he adds there, and we can almost look at this as spiritual maturity. We start with faith, we go to virtue and knowledge, so on and so forth. But the very last thing that he puts on top is what? In the King James, in, in the King James Version it says charity, but it's also accurately translated as love. That love is the last building block of the faith. Love is the mark. It is the the high mark of spiritual maturity in Christ. Not just the ability to love, not just the understanding of what love is, but when we allow love to flow freely through every thought, through every word, in every action. In other words, what he's talking about in verse 19 is to know the love of Christ and for that love to govern our entire lives. Let me say it like this. I've been a part of many churches in my days. I don't have a whole lot of days, but I've been in a lot of churches. And I met a lot of people that were very knowledgeable about God's Word. They were some of the meanest, most cantankerous, honorary people that I've been around. Even more so than some non-Christians that I knew. And they knew the Bible, and they could spit out about God's love and things like that. They didn't know how to show it. And I've met some just some old country church people just some faithful saints of God who may not have been able to memorize any scriptures, may not have been able to, you know, to rattle off all these facts about God, but love poured out of their lives. And I'd rather spend a day with that one than I would with the other. See, maybe they didn't know all the facts and all the details, all the Greek words for love in the New Testament, but they were filled with the love of Christ. And I want you to know that that is the mark of spiritual maturity, not how much you know about love. I want you to see that it's right here in verse 19. It says, to know not only in head knowledge, but by experience, the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Wait, I just caught something. It says to know the love of God, which passes what? Knowledge. Knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of of God. You can't be filled with the fullness of God and not be filled with his love. That is the mark of spiritual maturity. I want to see in our message on verses 20 through 21. He closes this uh, this statement and this section of the book of Ephesians by saying this, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Amen.